Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. You're with Bite Into It. Welcome. Tonight we've got Joe Eaton. Hey, Joe. Good evening. And Mr. Dan Morganti. Hello. Hey, and I'm Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for joining us. First, a big thank you to everyone who's subscribed during Radiothon so far. You're amazing. Officially, it's not over until the 30th of September, so you can still subscribe up till then and, and be eligible for all of the sort of prizes and incentives that are part of the station. But we just want to say a massive thanks for everyone for supporting us. It's been um, very heartwarming and very necessary this year, so we really appreciate it. Tonight on Byte, we are going to hear how the State Library's start space is fueling the local startup ecosystem with the Future Founders Festival. Plus, we will talk to local digital advisors, Miam, about how they're providing free mentoring sessions to businesses to help them through these tricky times. So that's what's coming up later in the show. Before we get there, as usual, we'd like to go through some news. Dan, what's been happening out there? Yeah, so Australia's on the front foot for once. Uh, Australia's introducing a code of practice for the manufacture of Internet of Things devices. Um, the Australian government's published voluntary best practice guidelines to help device, manuf- device manufacturers, um, I- IoT service providers and app developers to help improve uh, the security of Internet of Things devices. Um, so it's developed by the Department of Home Affairs and the Australian Cyber Security Centre. Um, it's described as the first step in the Australian government's approach to improve the security of Internet of Things devices in Australia. Um, it comes because uh, it's expected that there'll be 21 billion Internet of Things devices connected to the internet by 2030. Uh, so the Australian government believes the new standards are necessary to help raise awareness of sec- security safeguards associated with Internet of Things devices. Um, also, this is uh, after some hackers at IBM were able to discover vulnerabilities in millions of Internet of uh, things, devices, security cameras, um, baby monitors, you know, whatever can connect to the internet. They found a lot of uh, vulnerabilities. So this uh, sets a a precedent for Australian uh, policy on how to deal with these kinds of things, which uh, is great. Gee, that's good news, Dan. Yeah, Yeah. it's good good to see Australia get up to it for once. Do you think you're surrounded by that many um, internet of things at the moment? Uh, I'm trying to count the ones around me. Not myself. Uh, I don't like I don't like uh, Alexa or Siri or anything like that. I have it turned off on my phone. Um, I try to like other than I guess my PlayStation, but I almost wouldn't call that an Internet of Things. That's yeah, but that that's basically it. Other than my computer and my PlayStation, I don't have much connected. And um, given how many of these things. Uh, designed and manufactured overseas, will the Australian regulations have that much of an effect? Yeah, it probably has something to do with importing and things like that. The imports yeah. will have to meet our own uh, strict regulations, have um, rigorous testing and things before imports can be made. So, yeah, it's uh, that's uh, something to, to keep an eye on as well. 
Hmm. Yeah, it definitely applies to internationals. So that will be very interesting to see if they do a staggered kind of implementation. Hey, in other good tech news, Apple has published a human rights policy. Now, they've been around for a long, long time. So you could suggest that um, this is a little slow. I found some interesting analysis from former um, Andresen Horowitz partner and A16Z commentator, Benedict Evans. He's got a newsletter in which he spoke about this new policy and linked to it. Um, and his comments were that Apple talks a lot about privacy, but also stores Chinese user data unencrypted in China and bars VPN apps from the Chinese app store. If you're going to operate globally, how do you reconcile your own views of how to protect users with obeying local law? And again, is it your decision? Google had to leave China, but Apple has big business there and has to think about this. So it's very interesting to see the analysis about this um, policy launch being very much tied to increased um, geopolitical tensions between China and the US, um, but also just just kind of good to see an explicit human rights policy document. I've only gotten it this afternoon, so I haven't actually had time to dive into it very much, um, but that might be something we try and get an expert to chat about a little bit down the line. Mm. I'd be really interested to hear that. It's a kind of um, a bit of a trend happening amongst different countries, India, uh, is banning a lot of Chinese apps as well. Um, I'm not sure that that has much to do with uh, human human rights, but still it's interesting seeing all these different countries uh, taking a stand on what they'll allow uh, China to... Well, yeah, I mean, I do think it is it is similar, Dan, in, mm. in the way that they're all trying to figure out how do we make decisions about this stuff? What will our boundaries be? What can we point to that, that helps us justify decisions? Yeah. Um, yeah. Really tricky times. Speaking of Apple, uh, they've got one of their keynote events next Thursday at 3 a.m. our time. Not 3 a.m. their time. That'd be a bit of a rave. Um, they're <laughs> expected to announce details of the new iPhone 12. Um, it's rumoured to come in three sizes, including the smallest size since the 2016 SE, which I think is great because phones just keep getting bigger and bigger and not so pocketable, apart from those cute little foldy ones that are back. Um, it's also rumoured there's going to be a new watch, which might have um, blood oxygen tracking capabilities, like a pulse oximeter. So that seems quite a wise move in these COVID-19 times. Um, I've also read we might expect a totally new item, a tracking device, which um, is called the AirTag, which sounds similar to that tile device you can put on your key ring so you don't lose your keys. Um, other possibilities are a new Apple TV box and new headphones. So I'll be keeping an eye out for that. I want, I want an Apple TV. Yeah, it sounds interesting. I'm really glad that these smaller phone formats are sticking because I drop them. The bigger they get, the more I drop them. It's the yeah, worst. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I'd, I'm just in the market for a new one myself, so I might have to look at that. Yeah. I got the um, SE that was released this year and so far finding it pretty good. Great review. All right. <laughs> Very good. We'll definitely keep an eye out. Hey, one last piece of news before we get on to the main parts of the show this evening. Um, there is a really fascinating company operating here called Opal, O-P-Y-L. Its chief executive is Michelle Gallagher and she's spent 30 years in the biotech and pharmaceutical industries. Now with Opal, 
what they're doing is using um, modelling, which is um, utilising artificial intelligence, to examine things like different sorts of clinical trials. Now, what would be topical at the moment would be COVID-19 clinical trials. And what they're trying to do is take publicly available information and look at a whole range of factors, such as the design of the trial, the number of patients enrolled, the head researchers and their backgrounds and credibility, organisations' experience, and all sorts of things which factor into the success of different clinical trials to try and help governments in particular choose which of these potential products to invest in down the line because it's quite a long um, a long uh, format investment. You know, people have to take a bit of a punt on what might be on the horizon and what they're willing to put a bit of um, pre-ponied up money towards before they actually have any certainty on these things. So it's kind of a fascinating use of AI. It's a really interesting business. It's, you know, so right for this time. Uh, the algorithms are providing insights at the moment around things like a 20, 30% chance of success for the most progressed therapy trials um, with COVID-19 therapies at the moment. And examining all of the treatments, treatment efforts underway, they found that there's a 75% likelihood of success across the group. So different sorts of vaccines and things working for different types of patients. It's, it's Really fascinating to look at. It's not an area I understand very deeply, but at least the AI part I can wrap my head around. So, yeah, OPYL, Opal, is um, something that I'd love to hear more about. I can I can understand those numbers, 70, 70 to 75% success rate. That's, that's pretty high from what I understand. So uh, I think, yeah, things are looking up for a possibility of a, um, we're getting over this thing. Definitely. Just- just so crazy to me, wrapping my head around the fact that um, a researcher's background can be a data point for an AI to crunch. It's like, yeah, the complexity that you're talking about there. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the number of factors that they look at um, uh, is huge. And it does give you a bit bit of confidence in the modelling, just because, you know, it sounds like they know what they're talking about. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. 102.7. Triple R, you're listening to Bite Into It with Dan, Joe and Vanessa. Thanks for being with us tonight. The State Library's Start Space has partnered with Study Melbourne to launch Australia's first digital startup festival for international students. It's called the Future Founders Festival and it's running from the 23rd to the 27th of September. Joining us to explore the program is Start Space's community lead. Welcome, Arnor. Hi, great to be on the program hey. tonight. How Excellent to have you with tonight? us. So um, to kick off, we wanted to, to find out, could you tell us a little bit about the start space at the library and how the Future Founders Festival fits in within your brief? Yeah, so um, as some of your listeners might know, the State Library just underwent a, a quite a large five-year renovation and it, it was really to take stock of um, the library's original intention to be this university for the masses, but at the same time to be a library of the future. And, and what do people nowadays use libraries for? So things like businesses, um, to work on their ideas, to, to access knowledge. So Startspace was part of the redevelopment, and it's a, it's a community, it's a 
co-working space where people can come in and really come in with an idea and find community, find resources, find support to take that idea to the next step. Um, and so this opportunity came up to work alongside Study Melbourne um, to really focus in on one audience, um, the, the international student audience here in Victoria, and, and to really address that that community had a few unique challenges when when starting their own businesses. So, so starting your own startup, starting your own small business has its own inherent challenges already, but there was a community with a few added challenges. So what we did was develop this this five-day program, and we're, we're pretty excited. We're getting pretty close um, and really excited to, to be able to showcase some amazing speakers shortly. Um, can you uh, let us know some of the uh, speakers that will be at the festival? Yeah, so so the programming ethos was really about thinking about international students that will be attending the event. Just just a caveat that all students and all people really are invited to to attend this online festival. But for the international student population specifically, um, we thought that you know a bit of representation would help them draw inspiration to perhaps forge their own startup journey. So. We've got speakers such as Grace Wong, who is the co-founder of Liven, the the rewards app platform. Uh, Ivan Lim, CEO and co-founder of Brossa. Um, I think they're based out of Collingwood. The furniture with the tech yeah, back end. Yeah, yeah, they are. Do some very, very beautiful furniture. Um, so, so he's come on board, and and also due to this COVID period, um, the opportunity also opened up to. So I guess cast the net a bit wider. Um, so, so we've got some speakers who came and, and studied in Victoria and then moved back overseas to, to um, I guess, pursue some startup opportunities there. So, so a gentleman by the name of Wai Hong Fong, uh, he's currently based in Kuala Lumpur, and he'll be speaking from Malaysia. And he co-founded StoreHub, which is the point-of-sales platform um, that's used in many, many um, outlets all around Southeast Asia. So that's just a few of the founders. Um, and we've, we've kind of balanced that off with, like, a few people, like, not... Not everyone's destined to be a founder. Um, everyone who's listening to the show, like, there's people who are wired that way. But there's also people who, who may have an interest in working for a startup, scale up, um, maybe one day a unicorn. And so we've also got startups and some speakers who can speak to that as well. Uh, so people like Isaac Sue, who's, who's a down at Culture Amp, and we'll be speaking about you know his experiences working in and amongst some of the big tech companies based here in Melbourne. So um, with Grace Wong from Liven, um, she's famous at perfecting the pitch. Can you give us any hints about the topic she'll be exploring? Yeah, so it's really about talking about uh, a bit of her journey. Um, so mindful that right now everyone's you know zooming into to all sorts of things uh, so it'll really be grace talking about her story um how how that inspiration came about and just and then i guess follow that founder's journey through through her her law degree through her, her law 
uh, job and then through to the fintech and then the crypto aspects of where she's ended up. So it's, it's a bit of a founder's tale and that's definitely one, one of the sessions that I'm looking forward to and, and the nature of that, you know, giving back to the younger generation, a bit of inspiration for uh, the, the people who will be listening in as well. Sounds, oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. sounds fantastic. Um, and, of course, with the uh, with COVID weighing so heavy on us all, um, how is it uh, affecting the way that people are going to be able to uh, see this, um, see all these wonderful talks? Yeah, so the, the entire five-day experience is purely online and it's also absolutely free. Uh, so... The best place to, to start off with would be to jump onto startspacehq.com slash futurefounders um, or alternatively through the State Library's main website, so slv.fic.gov.au and just path to the Future Founders Festival um, website and that will help you register for the experience, um, as I mentioned, absolutely free of charge. And so the first two days will be that thought leadership piece. So panel discussions and seminars. Uh, we've also programmed in lots of little breaks, mindful of, you know, being in front of a computer all day long. And so sort some time to, to socialise, hear some pictures. Um, then the, the following two days is where it gets pretty interesting for, for people who want to get a bit more into the space after you've been inspired, after you have a better understanding of, of the Victorian startup ecosystem um, there's a chance to really just get involved. Um, so we're having a 48-hour hackathon uh, that's been delivered by the Hacker Exchange, and so that's where uh, students can form teams and, and to tackle a problem um, and really have a real good go at it over 48 hours to create an MVP um, to, yeah, just, I guess, have a small taste of what it's like to, to, to found something. Um, there's also an opportunity leading up into the event, and uh, I wondered if you could tell our audience about the startup pitch competition. Yeah, so that's that's also part of the the programming back end to, to inspiring, I guess, the, the participants who will be coming along. So for any current international students or alumni out there, uh, we're having a pitch competition uh, where you can just pop in a short pitch. Um, and then we'll shortlist, and then on the first day of the festival, three finalists will get up in front of the audience and in front of a judging panel and be able to, you know, def- um, speak to their their startup um, and speak to potentially their, their traction, uh, their, their team makeup, the solution to the problem that they're, they're trying to solve, as well as you know, really you know, show how well they understand the market. And there's, there's up to about $3,500 in, in prize money to be won. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, uh, how have you thought about how you're going to facilitate that hackathon when everything's virtual? I've been to many uh, in real life hackathon, but, yeah. um, you know, the virtual ones are a little bit newer. So, so... To answer that question, it's really find people that are very good at that and, and yeah. get them on board. Um, so I, I would not know where to begin. I'd, I'd have some rough <laughs> ideas, but, but really 
So it's like, who's doing it really good in the, well in the space? Who's had that track record of delivering some of these? Um, so Hacker Exchange has come aboard, and they recently ran a, a Hack the Crisis hackathon. And I think their, their tech stack's pretty deep, and they, they're using... Um, I think there's there's obviously a dev post to, to facilitate the hackathon, so that sort of front end website that you know can coordinate the whole thing. Then, then it's really teams jumping on Zoom calls to chat, checking in with mentors. There's a bit of Slack involved to do announcements. There's check ins. Yeah, it, it's quite an impressive back end setup, um, and and I think it's it's just really about how you maintain engagement and, and excitement through it while well, you you try to deliver something in, in a tight time frame. Yeah, that is no mean feat and um, kudos to you for, for pulling that together with your Hacker Exchange pals because it sounds really exciting and um, and just what we need at the moment. Hey, can I ask, when you when you think back to when you started this journey to create the festival, you know, was were, um, was COVID already out there when you started to bring this together or did you have to pivot from a more traditional sort of hackathon type event? Uh, the hackathon was always on the, on the cards, uh, on the whiteboard, but we definitely needed to, to change to a online delivery platform. So due to the nature of the State Library being this, this amazing venue, um, at, at, in early conversations, the idea was to have a, a face-to-face festival um, but with the changes that, that have occurred over the years, the, the opportunity came up to, to bring this all digitally. Um, and so that, that's given us um, a few opportunities, as I mentioned before. It's, it's going out to speakers that, you know, you otherwise wouldn't be able to fly in for a one-hour session. But the, conversely, we've also been able to open this thing up to basically anyone around the world. Um, so we do know um, that there are currently some students that are enrolled in Victorian universities and, and education sectors that can't currently get back to Australia. So so offering online programming, they're able to access, you know, a, a product and some programming that's specifically made for them whilst, you know, having that physical distance away from Victoria. I think last I saw... There's some people registered to come in from as far flung as Nigeria and Mauritius. And then on the speaker front, we've got someone coming in from Sri Lanka, a few from Malaysia, and a few of our northern cousins up from Sydney as well. <laughs> All the way from Sydney, but how will All they the get home? <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah. It's amazing that you've been able to turn this virtual um, model of delivery into a real opportunity for people. Um, that's fantastic to see our Sydney neighbours being able to get in, get in virtually. Um, I guess the last question I had for you, Arne, is, is just, to, you know, how in touch is the library with our international students? Because we've seen some fantastic stories of libraries staying in touch with their communities, like librarians calling senior citizens in our, in our communities, that sort of thing. You know, how close does, does the library feel to international students in Melbourne? Yeah, so, so for many years we've been very aware that the international student community are right in the Melbourne CBDs area. Um, and off the back of that, we created an international student working group to really help inform programming, inform things that we're offering out to um, the community. And there's also some pretty strong international student representation in our volunteer base. So volunteer 
um, guides and, and people just help out um, from a customer service perspective. Um, there, there's definitely great energy and great um, involvement from that community. We're, we're very mindful that COVID's been particularly difficult uh, for the broader community as well as um, more specifically the international student community. Um, they might be away from traditional support structures, family and friends. And so what we can do to play a part in creating this online place, perhaps they can meet peers, um, meet like-minded people and just, just really connect albeit virtually, around a thematic that they're interested in and and hopefully just get some social interaction and, and inspiration from that experience. I feel like That's we all awesome. need that at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, just in April this year, we spoke to um, the founders of Creately, a piece of software that helps people wireframe up solutions. And they'd all met while um, international students at university in Victoria. And now they've founded this business that's based here. It's such a win for our community. Um, it increases, you know, job opportunities and innovation coming out of our sector. It's absolutely fabulous. And I really hope that there's lots of people listening who decide to check out the Future Founders Festival. Of all. Um, thanks so much for your time, Arne. Great to hear about it straight from you. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Hey, Miam are a Brunswick-based business who help all sorts of people, including sole traders, businesses and community groups, to achieve their digital and business outcomes. Like us, they love digital literacy and so we're big fans. Co-founder Sam Hemphill joins us now to share a new mentoring opportunity. Welcome, Sam. Hi, how are you? Great to have you with us. I'm well, thank you. Um, so it's Vanessa, Joe, and Dan with you on the line this evening. Thanks for uh, for calling in on this cool night. Yes. No worries at all. So there Thanks are for me. <laughs> so there are tons of digital agencies competing to do the work for businesses in the digital space. We wondered yeah. how did you at Miam come to focus on capability uplift within those businesses. Um, basically, at the moment, obviously through COVID, um, there is, you know, opportunity, I suppose, for a lot of businesses, a lot of businesses that have gone, um, had to completely pivot and change their business model entirely. And it's really interesting with the work that the Melbourne Innovation Centre is doing, it's kind of the work that we've been doing for quite some time as far as, you know, teaching digital literacy to small business, um, helping them get online, helping them out with their SEO and things like that. And so, yeah, this, um, obviously, with COVID coming around, uh, which no-one wanted, no-one could have planned for, um, yeah, Melbourne Innovation got in, in contact with us and sort of asked if we could help out. And, of course, we very keen to do that. And so, yeah, it's, that's basically how that came about. Um, Fantastic. So you mentioned... Oh, sorry, go for it, man. Oh, sorry. Uh, so you mentioned uh, a few of the specific ways you help. Well, like, what? Um, can you take us through... Uh, like uh, someone coming to you and then how you would, the steps you would take to, to help them? Yeah, sure. Well, the way the program works, like I was saying, the one, uh, the free mentoring through um, the Melbourne Innovation Centre is that the businesses, obviously, they need to be Victoria-based um, and be for-profit and have an ABN and so forth. 
they apply, they go through, and then we have a call for two hours, and they come to us with a variety of things that they want to chat about. Generally, like I was saying before, it's around SEO and looking for new opportunities uh, in the digital space, digital marketing. Uh, a lot of people are really keen to look into website accessibility. There's a lot of businesses that we're actually have been working with over the last few weeks or so that are keen to sort of, while they're in the downtime, and it's not downtime they want, but they've got it and they've sort of got the time of looking into implementing a few of the things that have been on the back burner for a while. So within that is things like website accessibility, uh, user research, so a lot of that, that sort of stuff to really so they can bounce out as, as well as possible from this, you know, once restrictions lift, lift once they can open. Um, and it's a whole, you know, I don't want to sort of sound like a, a cliche or whatever, but consumer behaviour has changed. People's relationship with money has changed. And so looking at how people um, will likely work with their businesses, you know, even moving out of this into 2021, and so forth. And it's a really fascinating wide range of businesses um, that we've been working with, like just in the last month, um, interior designers, architects, wedding celebrants, party supply stores, um, an accountancy who's setting up a virtual CFO service for other small businesses, things like that. So it's a, a massively diverse range of people we're talking to as well, which has been exciting. That's really great. Um, Sam, I love that not only do you provide guidance in a whole range of digital areas, um, you mentioned SEO and, and social media and marketing, those sort of aspects of things, um, but also clearly the really tangible things around accessibility and um, inclusive website design and build. But yeah. uh, your co-founder also provides guidance on a range of other sorts of compatible skills that so can just, sometimes get a bit glossed over in the digital um, space. I, you, sorry, I just lost you in that last minute. Um, there was a whole lot of beeping going on. I, I just <laughs> missed the last part of your sentence. Sorry, could you just say that again? No, no worries at all. So I was just sort of saying that, you know, while it's great to see all the digital um, coaching that you can do, it's also nice to see that hand in hand with a range of, of guidance available from your co-founder, um, Elise. So I wonder if you could speak to some of the other um, areas that you provide mentorship across. Yeah, absolutely. So Elise is um, obviously the other half of the business. She talks a lot about workplace culture and leadership as well as sort of planning, strategy, that kind of thing, um, as well as sort of a lot of the, um, you know, uh, partnership agreements, um, working with co-founders, um, when to work with a co-founder, all that kind of stuff. So she, I guess I'm sort of the more digital side and she's thought of a better word, I guess, the more practical side of things um, <laughs> with what she does. And so, yeah, we sort of, we like to think that we sort of cover, you know, a, a very wide range of, of business needs with that. Yeah, for sure. Because I think, you know, when, when we hear about all of the sorts of digital changes that you're, you're helping people with, we know you can't do that without change management plans, without comms, Absolutely. without getting the right culture on board in your business. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's nice to see those hand in hand. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I had definitely thought about you seeing extra demand with things like online shops and that sort of thing. Uh, at the moment, we, we just we see so much of that with hospitality, for instance, having to pivot to online. But I hadn't thought about people using this downtime to, to value add with their services. Um, could you tell us a bit more about, you know, what, what that can sometimes look like for people? Sure. Um, so... I think if I could sum it up, I suppose the most common things um, that we're seeing is people generating, 
look, as a business owner, one of the things that you can do that really helps with, you know, your SEO as well as, you know, basically getting trust within your the community of your users um, is the idea of publishing content around what you do and sort of whether it be sort of how-to videos or how-to articles um, or just explain the things, whatever. And so a lot of the businesses we're talking to, that's what they're spending this time doing is putting together um, content that they can sort of start to launch out now. Um, that kind of that content gets picked up through SEO, and then as they can reopen more, um, do more marketing around that, whether it be through Facebook ads or Google ads or, or whatever, um, to really build that trust in the business. One of the other things that we're talking about with people is. As far as, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't know what to write about. And it's sort of like, what are the most common questions that your customers are asking when they ring you to first engage your service? And, like, answer those questions on your website. You know, and, again, that sort of stuff gets picked up by SEO and it builds the trust in the business. Um, you know, so many things, little things like that as well. Asking for testimonials from previous clients and fashioning them in a way that can be published on your website as well as your social media um, to, again you know, be able to sort of come out, <laughs> come out as best as possible. Yeah. As a, you know, as opposed to sort of, you know, getting to the point where, you know, restrictions lift and all of a sudden it's, you can open and it's like, oh, God, what do I do now? You know, so there's a yeah. lot of businesses out there who are really prepping for the reopen um, and whether or not they can reopen when we move to stage three or, or stage two or whichever stage, you know, depending on what they do. But I think that's the main thing and that, that's really part of the program. You know, it's called business resilience mentoring for... Um, for a reason, it's sort of getting through this bit to get to the other side. Um, so, yeah, and that, that's Yeah, really I think you must be giving people a fair bit of hope right now, just giving them, you know, a sense of purpose around what to plan for and how to yeah. how to open up again. Yeah. Sure. And, I mean, a lot of it is also people who are looking to skill up in areas of their business that they never had time to do. And that's the thing, is the calls that we do, it's two two-hour calls, so it's not sort of like we're going to, in that time, be able to teach someone how to rebuild their website or anything like that. But it's certainly being able to point people in the right directions for the the kinds of information they might be looking for, or certainly to be able to work out, you know, which parts they might want to do themselves, which parts they might want to outsource, that kind of thing. Like our whole ethos since our business started sort of four years ago is the idea of small business owners taking on as much as they can themselves to at least have a working knowledge of things like digital marketing and Facebook ads and SEO and all that sort of thing, to then be able to make that call, you know, do I pay someone else to do this or can I actually, you know, can we actually do this ourselves internally? Um, and so, and that's, again, that's sort of led into this as well because a lot of business owners are now looking at the kinds of things where maybe they don't want to or, you know, obviously income has dropped a fair bit. Um, and so they're looking at the kinds of things that maybe they could do themselves. And so that's where there's a lot of value got from those calls. Uh, from that as well. Um, you you mentioned um, like looking ahead to um, when we come off lockdown restrictions. Um, is there is there anything that uh, people that you're, that you're coming into contact with uh, are finding surprising about maybe where they're going to be able to take their business after um, lockdowns over? I think a lot of people are. I don't want to say surprised. Um, I think, well, maybe it is surprise. I think a lot of people are impressed with themselves in a lot of ways, if, if I can say, as far as having to think laterally. When you're put in a position of having, and some of the people I've spoken to, um, wedding photographers, for example, I've spoken to two wedding photographers in the last sort of couple of weeks, um, they have had, had absolutely no work at all uh, and can't, you know. And so 
uh, until at least sort of stage two, I think it is. I think the earliest they might be able to go back is sort of late November, early December. And so as far as actually the, the way of thinking laterally, getting in and learning new skills, and I, I think that's the bit that people are um, enjoying in a way, as best, as best they can. You know, it's not really an enjoyable yeah. thing. But as far as actually not just sitting around going, oh, God, this is terrible, but actually trying to make, uh, you know, cross opportunity for, for, for want of a better word, of, you know, being able to look at it and go, okay, what can I get out of it, you know? Um, and so, and then it, that's the thing is there is a reasonable amount of support out there for small business through this. Um, admittedly, I think in some areas there could be considerably more. Um, but as far as, you know, programs like this, I think it's really great that they exist um, to, you know, to help small business be able to be able to bounce out as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's definitely a fantastic time for this. It's very well placed. Hey, Sam, yeah. I wonder, do you ever get approached by people and they're like, should we be getting on TikTok? I mean, do you get any absolutely out there kind of questions? What was the question, sorry, about TikTok? I didn't hear whether it was getting well, on just, or off TikTok. <laughs> well, just, you know, do you ever get asked very specifically about platforms? It's almost like people just hear, you know, this platform's hot at the moment, I'm a cafe, should I be there? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Um, that, and that kind of thing is very common. And, of course, you know, our answer to all of that is test your market, do you want to be there? Is your competition there? Like, what value is it really going to bring? And, I mean, I think there are a lot of businesses, or not I think, I know that there are a lot of businesses out there who think they need to be across every social platform. And it's sort of like, well, for a lot of businesses, LinkedIn is a complete waste of time. For a lot of businesses, Instagram is a complete waste of time because, you know, it's not your medium. If you're an accountant, it's going to be really hard to try and get much engagement on, in, on Instagram, you know what I mean, or TikTok. Um, and so, yeah, but there are, like, yeah, as you were saying, yeah, businesses do definitely sort of feel like they need to be everyone, you know, everywhere for everyone. And it's, it's really not, um, not worth it at all. It's worth looking at, and particularly for businesses who are new to social media, like we always say, start off with a couple, see how you go, get used to it, you know, post, work out what works for that, move into another platform if you feel like it works and you feel like it's the kind of thing that you can work with. Um, and if it doesn't work, no harm, no foul. If it does, great, you know. Um, but, yes, we do get specific questions like that. And Sam, I, I think you've just demonstrated like some that. of the value <laughs> that you bring to these mentoring conversations. So thank you for those free tips for our audience. Um, we, yeah, can you, can you let people know where they can sign up for free business mentoring sessions with Miam? Totally. Um, from our website, you can go directly um, and apply directly from our site. So that's meeum.com or from the Melbourne Innovation, um, which is melbourneinnovation.com.au. So they, and there's a list of a, a huge amount of mentors there. Obviously, Lisa and I are two of them. Again, you can book us directly from our site. Um, but a large range of things from, you know, Marketing, uh, you know, all the stuff that we do around digital marketing, user research, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. Elisa's work around uh, you know, efficiency and contractor and supplier engagement is a big one as well that people are really keen on, particularly to really, um, I guess, simplify and get their supply chains as efficient as possible, particularly with, you know, contractors, supplier engagement, all that. So, yeah. Um, but that's where it is, meum.com. Perfect. Or um, meum.com.au. Yeah, or melbourneinnovation.com.au. Love that. Thank you. The program does conclude on the 30th of September, same time that Radio no, Thon officially so ends. Going, so that's just changed today. That has been updated has today and it's been pushed. Yes, it has been extended as of today. 
um, out and through. At this stage, it looks like possibly even June next year. But, oh, that's absolutely um, incredible news. Yeah, I think that the stage four lockdown, the extension of that has, you know, influenced that decision, as well as the fact that I think that when, you know, a lot of the support was, that was put in and in, initially in sort of through March, April, May, and there was a six-month timeline. You know, a lot of the, the support seems to be sort of finishing up around about now, you know, with JobKeeper, you know, becoming less and all that sort of stuff. And so I think a lot of these yeah. programs are now starting to be extended as the government can see that, hang on, uh, coronavirus is here for a bit longer than anyone had really wanted to. So, yeah, that has been extended. But definitely... That is very encouraging. All, yeah, <laughs> it is. It's really <laughs> nice, yeah. All right, Sam, thanks so much for joining us. We've been speaking with Sam Hemphill from MIAM all about uh, business resilience mentoring and specifically his areas of digital expertise. Thanks, Sam. Thank you very much for having me. Triple R on FM, digital, online, on demand, podcasts and via the app. Hey, um, I was scrolling the Twitter this morning and Amy Mullins, Uncommon Sense Australian politics expert Ben Eltham, was tweeting about an interesting article uh, and I wondered if either of you had seen it. It's entitled, A Robot Wrote This Entire Article, Does That Scare You? It was in The Guardian and it was an op-ed piece. Uh, it doesn't yeah, scare me. I did see this. Um it was written by um, GPT-3, which is an open AI. Um, it's a, their language generator. I've read a few pieces generated by it, and um, this one particularly sounds like it's been fed um, Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> its core <laughs> guiding principles. But, yeah, it, um, I, I don't think it scares me. Yeah, I think it's fascinating to read um, an AI-generated piece and wonder what provocations were thrown at it to generate those sort of ideas. In in some ways, it's quite fascinating to see um, where the internal logic works and where it actually contradicts itself, which you, you'll find quite commonly throughout these sort of pieces. Um, but just to, to almost read an AI waxing lyrical on what it is to be AI and what you theoretically care about is... A fair bit of fun. Uh, what yeah. did you think, Dan? Um, well, yeah, like I, I've heard about um, like laws and like lawyers becoming obsolete because of computers that can read scripts and things like that. But um, yeah, generating this kind of stuff, I, I'm not so much scared as I am cautious and intrigued. So. Um, <laughs> Um, I yeah. think lawyers can feel quite comforted that they're not being replaced anytime soon based yeah. on that article. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah it's, and it's always interesting, like, seeing two chatbots talk to each other. And uh, this might be a folklore, but I think I recall uh, two chatbots that uh, they shut down after, like, five seconds because the, the chatbots were able to create their own language that yes. people weren't <laughs> able to understand. They're like, well, we don't know where this is going, so they shut it down. Um, <laughs> so it's like all these interesting experiments with robots uh, being able to generate language. It sounds apocryphal, but I believe that one was true, Dan. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Amazing. All right. Well, um, thanks, Ben Elton, for, for putting that on our radar, as it were. I'm sure the AI is happy with that. Hey, there's actually a ton of events on at the moment, which is pretty exciting because in lockdown mode, I am still just really struggling to have new experiences and feed my mind in a relaxing non-work type way. So one of the things that's out there at the moment is Unpack the Art and Ethics and Science of the Machine. It's an 
online interdisciplinary public forum and it's presented by the Ian Potter Museum of Art. I'm missing galleries like crazy, so I poured over this program. Um, Joe, have you have you checked out any of this program? I haven't, but it sounds great. Just having a look at it right now. Do you, uh, do you want to share one of the one of the things that they're running as part of yeah, this? Yeah, session one is on next Tuesday. It is the machinery of creativity, Indigenous data and computation. So it's co-presented with the Indigenous Data Network, the Indigenous Studies Unit um, at the Melbourne School of Population and Global Health. So you'll be joining Darren Clinch as Senior Data Analyst. We might tweet out more details about that. I've just realised how late we're getting. Yeah. Hey, a big thank you to our guests this evening, Aunt Noor and Sam Hemphill, and to our hosts, Dan Morganti and Joe Eaton. Thanks for being with me. Thanks to Talk producer Elizabeth McCarthy. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.